In partnership with Paizo, the No Direction Network welcomes you to our PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage. While you enjoy your PaizoCon Online seminar coverage, remember that these were recorded online and that some minor audio and connection issues are to be expected. Hello, everyone, and welcome to day two of PaizoCon online this year. Woo! Uh, I hope you all have been enjoying the show thus far. Um, we are excited to kick off day two uh, seminars here today with the Pathfinder RPG Q&A. I am the moderator for this first panel. I'm the director of game design at Paizo. I'm Jason Bullman. Um, Hi, everybody. Uh, and uh, the first thing we're going to do before we get started here today is I'm going to toss it around uh, to my other panelists so that they can introduce themselves. And we'll do it in order of uh, uh, seniority. So I think that's Logan. <laughs> I'm Logan Bonner. I'm the Pathfinder lead designer. Uh, I've been here for a few years and uh, just got that job title change uh, toward the end of last year. Started this year or something. <laughs> Good deal. Mark. I'm Mark Seifter. I am the design manager at Paizo. Uh, like Logan, just had that job title change recently. I guess I'm the only one who's in the right square. So just listen to what we say, not what it says underneath of our face. <sighs> All right. And Liz. Hi, I'm Liz Liddell. I'm the newest member of the design team. I joined this team back in September of 2019. Uh, and uh, unlike everyone else on this team, my job title is just designer. <laughs> but we're, we're thrilled to have you, Liz. Um, to be here. So uh, what we're going to do here today is uh, the first thing we're going to do is kind of walk through uh, some of the products that have come out for the Pathfinder role-playing game, second edition, uh, since Gen Con last year. Uh, and then uh, as we move forward, we're going to talk about a few things that are coming out in the future. And then when we're done with that, we're going to open it up for a Q&A. So get your cues uh, ready and we will provide the A's. Uh, but uh, let's try and keep it light on uh, uh, rules questions. We're not here to make official rulings about aspects of the game. Uh, but if you want to ask about the philosophy of the game, where it's going, where it's heading, that is going to be great. And we will be happy, happy to answer those questions. So uh, to get things started here, I suppose we should start at the beginning. And uh, that would be with the release of the Pathfinder 2nd Edition core rulebook. Um, we spent years making this game uh it all started you know oh like 2016 2015 um is when some of the first inklings came together we worked our way to a play test and finally the game released last year um many of you probably participated in the play test that was a big uh long challenging period but uh i have to say uh if I can speak for everyone on the team, we're thrilled with the final outcome. Your playtesting gave us all the data we needed to make a great game. 
So uh, the Pathfinder Core rulebook dropped at Gen Con last year. Uh, I don't want to belabor the point on it. All of you probably have it already. Um, we're really thrilled with how well it's done and how well it's been received. Um, it kind of met most of our design goals of creating a game that was a bit faster to play, a bit more straightforward, remove some of the kind of cruft uh, from the rules engine, and most importantly, streamlined the overall... Uh, engine of the game and gave everything a native home in the core engine. That was kind of one of our big goals. Uh, Pathfinder 1st Edition was built um, primarily, uh, you know, by layering rules on top of rules on top of rules. And while that certainly can make for uh, a fun, robust game experience, some of those elements were not thought of when the initial engine was built. So as a result, they always felt like they were just kind of bolted on to the frame. With 2nd Edition, we had a chance to kind of take that entire framework apart and give everything a more well-fit, well-built-in home. And we hope that as more and more books come out, you will see that fully express itself. You will see um, how those other pieces of the game fit more natively uh, within the core engine. Now, in addition to the core rulebook, of course, we released a bestiary. And for that, I'm going to hand it over to Logan to chat a bit about the first bestiary. That's right. We had the bestiary. Um, this is one of the books that, uh, unlike a lot of bestiaries, this is like the design team wrote a huge amount of this book. Part of that was stuff we wrote for the playtest because we tried to get a really pretty big uh, bestiary for the playtest, uh, or the playtestiary, as it was referred to inside the building. Um, so we kind of built on that and kind of we wanted to make sure we had all the kind of classic monsters and then a whole bunch of the ones that were really important to Pathfinder that were not in kind of the Pathfinder bestiary or didn't appear in the 3.5 uh, monster manual. Um, so it has a lot more kind of like uh, of the kind of a suitable number of like psychopomps and uh, proteans and all the kind of extra planar stuff, some of the other kind of classics of Pathfinder. Um, we also kind of uh, did that new format that um, to kind of get a little more um, visual interest and have the sidebars with a little bit of uh, extra information. Um, and I think those have made it kind of more fun to design monsters and given them a little more variety. Uh, so that that book is really cool uh, and will will was not the first or sorry, was not the only best area we're going to end up uh, talking about today. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think one of the things that's made me the most excited about monsters in second edition is just how fresh they feel, um, how their new abilities both seem familiar, but brand new. Um, you know, it, it it's that that really gets me excited about about yeah, most of the new monsters. Yeah, like think, think about the owlbear in um, Pathfinder 2nd Edition compared to 1st Edition. Like, when I was researching um, for 2nd Edition, I realized the Owlbear and the, I think the Dire Tiger are, like, basically the same monster, except for the Tiger has one more ability. They feel very different, it, but they didn't have any other abilities. But in Pathfinder 2nd Edition Bestiary, the Owlbear's got all these abilities Logan wrote where it screeches around and tears out your entrails to feed to its young. It's just cool. Fine, that was me, but okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, you were going to say the same monster? <laughs> no, I wrote the Albert. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, so, uh, yeah, 
I, I think that is kind of, you know, the, the, the difference between an owlbear and a, and a tiger is more than just pounce now. Um, so anyway, uh, moving on, uh, after the bestiary, uh, you know, we, we had our big launch at Gen Con and there was a whole bunch of accessories that came with that, but we'll, we'll talk about those in a bit. Um, you know, we, we kind of went into the fall, uh, and, uh, you know, eventually came around to releasing the game mastery guide. Now this book, uh, just released here a few months back. We were, we were a little bit behind on it, getting out of the, the kind of shadow of the core. Um, but we're really excited for this book. We hope that many of you have picked it up. It's filled with a a whole bunch of great stuff. And, uh, I'm going to pass it over to Liz to chat about this book because uh correct me if i'm wrong liz this was the first book you worked on when you came over to the rules team it was uh this this is a really interesting book for me because it's the first book i worked on as part of the rules team it's the last book i worked on when i was still part of the editing team and i also happened to do a little bit of writing for it in between uh and so it was uh it was a really really good experience all around a good opportunity to get my feet wet and, and learn what i was doing because the game mastery guide is your GM's toolkit. It's the piece that's going to give you all of the um, all of the tools and options and resources you need to run your game and to run it really, really well. So the um, the game mastery guide. Um, the the biggest thing that I think uh, people enjoy about the game mastery guide is the fact that it has the creature creation rules in it. Um, this is the tool you need if you're going to uh, give yourself. Uh, a, a custom monster, if you're going to change the level of a monster, that's where all of your numbers are going to be. Uh, it also has a number of variant rules. It has a number of rules subsystems. Um, so sort of like Jason was saying earlier about building the core rules into the uh, game engine itself, um, we've looked at the kinds of subsystems that developed in first edition and gave them a home here in the game mastery guide. So the um, things like um, subsystems to track points for um, figuring out a, a specific uh, conditional victory within an adventure, um, rather than each adventure having its own subsystem, we now have a unified victory points subsystem that you can use. Um, we now have a unified chase system. We have a unified system um, to manage your heists and your infiltrations. And they all work kind of around the same framework so that the uh, so that they they don't feel tacked on, so they feel like they're a core part of the same gameplay experience. It's going to reduce load on the players. It's going to make your games faster and more fun, which are, is exactly the point of the second edition of the game. It's got beautiful art throughout. It's a, a really really fantastic book, uh, and I you know if you haven't picked it up yet, definitely check it out. It's it's one of the four core books um, that we see as the foundation of second edition, and uh, and you'll you'll want to have it on your shelf. Yeah, I mean, I I think you know, uh, looking at the game as a whole, I mean, th- this GMG is more vital to your play experience than than it ever has been in the past. I mean, the first edition GMG was a great book filled with a lot of great tools, but you know, monster creation rules, uh, yeah, you, you you need those. They are they are fantastic, and and they they are a really good fit in there. And I really do love how all the subsystems feel like they're part of a kind now and not just things that we built over like 10 years of gameplay. <laughs> um, moving on, uh, releasing here just today, just today uh, is the technical street date of Bestiary 2. Um, today, uh, this book has become uh, available in 
uh, the PDF. So if you didn't pre-order it and it didn't get shipped to you, um, uh, and, uh, you know, w- with everything going on, uh, shipping and distro has been in a bit of chaos today. You can still at least get it in PDF today. It is now live on the Paizo site. It's also on Roll20 and all the other sites like that that are offering it as tokens and stuff. So, uh, why don't we, uh, why don't we toss it back to Logan? Logan, you're our monster master. Um, so why don't I toss it back to you to talk a bit about Bestiary 2? Uh, yeah, Bestiary 2 is kind of a, since Bestiary 1 has kind of those crucial baseline monsters, Bestiary 2 is one that kind of fleshes out um, some of the categories a little more, and then is was kind of a good chance to add a bunch of new stuff. Uh, there are really, there are a couple things that is like, uh, like the serpent folk being in there that are like another kind of kind of big deal monster. But there's also more demons and devils and uh, demons and uh, angels and aeons, a lot of those kind of folks. Um, and then there's just, uh, I think some of the brand new monsters in this one are, are really interesting and entertaining. Um, uh, this was also, uh, I know that uh, I wrote a bunch of new monsters for this one. Um, that uh, I think are really fun. The uh, the the whole book is kind of like taking that template that Bestiary One set out, and since we already had that established, now we kind of knew all the parts from the beginning, so we could kind of play with them a little more. Uh, because some of the stuff in Bestiary One kind of got refined during the process, so it's nice to have this one kind of be the one where uh, like how the sidebars are set up was already in the designers' minds when they started working on it. So there's a lot of it that kind of comes more from the original author's vision and made it into the final. And a lot of that stuff kind of happened partway through um, on the first bestiary. Uh, so I think this one is a, a really nice expansion and just a lot of a lot of fun stuff in it. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it, it's funny looking back, right? You know, we've got 10 years of gameplay with six bestiaries and countless other monsters that came out in, in, you know, uh, APs and, and other sources. And as it turns out over 10 years, you make an awful lot of amazing monsters and we literally just could not fit them in one bestiary. Does the rest of the team remember when there was this crazy idea of making the bestiary 500 pages? Yep. Remember, yeah, I think that was Eric's like Eric's like fever dream of making the yeah, best area one five hundred pages, and we were like, <laughs> "No, no, we and, can't and do that." People we who have fine to carry a bestiary around with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, between the two of them, it's like if the if the core rulebook and bestiary crack, uh, you know, like twelve hundred pages, we've we've gone too far. <laughs> yeah. We must be stopped. Um, so, yeah, it is really exciting. I do want to uh, make a couple notes here. Um, some folks have talked about uh, the distribution chain and whatnot when it comes to these books, you know, with Best Area 2 dropping today. You're going to, you know, hopefully be able to find it. Um, but uh, folks have noted, and it is worth pointing out, that the gaming distribution chain is still having some problems due to COVID. Not all the warehouses are open. Not all the distribution sites are open. Diamond shut down for a period of time. Uh, and Diamond is the one that distributes to most comic stores and 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 things like that. So And Amazon. So um, there are some delays in the process. Unfortunately, most of that is entirely outside of our hands. These books are not late according to our schedule. They just are having having some trouble getting through the cycle. So uh, folks, I hope that you are patient with us. We're going to do everything we can to get these books out to people as quickly as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, our warehouse is shipping stuff. What was that? That was exactly what I was going to say. Our warehouse is shipping. So if you order them from paizo.com, they, we will we'll get them shipped. You'll get them in your hands. 
Yeah, we'll get them shipped to you as soon as we can. So, um, Also, uh, folks have rightly noted that the uh, image on the screen is not the best Jerry 2 image. That's a spoiler for what's coming up next. Um, as it turns out, uh, it appears that I forgot to put the best Jerry 2 cover in the slide deck. I'm, I'm sorry, everyone. I failed. Um, before we get I to... One more thing about best Jerry yeah. 2. Uh, which yeah, is, uh, it, it seems uh, in first edition, like each bestiary kind of had like a little bit of a sub theme. Like there was just like a little bit of a, a, a certain direction the monsters tended to push. Uh, if you look at bestiary two, you're going to see a lot of fey in that one. And part of that is because a lot of those are in Kingmaker. So a lot of kind of the Kingmaker monsters are in bestiary two because that was kind of a nice uh, synergy we could do. Um, and so if you really like fey, bestiary two is going to be a book that has a lot of cool stuff for you. Absolutely. Um, yeah, as a matter of fact, the book has a lot of the monsters from Kingmaker in it to help support that project. Um, yeah, lots of fey. Lots of, lots of, lots of fey. Um, people like them, though, so it's okay. Um, so before we get on to the future, um, you know, because I know people are interested in hearing us talk uh, about some things that aren't out yet, and we're not quite done talking about the things that have come out yet, because in addition to these core books, we released a, 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 a mountain a, a heaping mountain of accessories. Um, just with the, um, the, the, the initial release alone, we put out what the GM screen, the character sheet pack, the initiative tracker and condition cards all on day one. Um, that's, I, I still don't know how we managed to make all that happen other than losing a lot of sleep. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, and, uh, and, you know, uh, none of it would have happened without the, the countless hours and effort of the graphic designers and the developers and the editors as well. So it wasn't just us. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, some of those products are really a lot of fun. Now, uh, with the GM screen, we also have an advanced GM screen coming out. Logan, you want to, you want to chat about the, the GM screen project here for a bit? Yes. The first GM screen uh, has this really cool illustration by Ekaterina Burmack that uh, is uh, kind of like four stages of adventure. It's really gorgeous. And that is kind of like uh, a great GM screen for um, for kind of starting the game. Uh, but it also has some stuff on it that if you've been running the game for a long time, you might be like, I don't really need this anymore. So, for example, like um, the actions for all the skills. Eventually, that's the kind of stuff that you'll... Uh, internalize or at least kind of remember where to look it up pretty quickly uh, if you need to get into more detail. So the advanced GM screen takes, uh, it keeps some of the stuff that is really like really hard to memorize, like the DCs by level table. We didn't remove that, um, but we did remove some of that stuff that uh, people are going to get more used to um, and put on some things like some of the monster numbers. So if you need to kind of improvise a monster on the fly, you can just grab the monster, grab the monster's numbers right off that screen. Uh, so the advanced GM screen is kind of a good one for. Uh, we wanted to kind of have an alternative for people who uh, want to have a little bit more improvisational control. Um, and I know Liz did some of the final passes, so her memory is probably a little fresher on some of the exact contents of that screen. Um, but that was kind of the concept behind it was that it was uh, going to be for kind of a different type of game master. Uh, so depending on kind of your comfort level and what you like to have on a screen, you might want to look at the contents of both of those and figure out which one works best for you. And the contents of both of those are listed on paizo.com on the pages for each screen. So you can kind of compare and contrast and see which tables are going to suit your gameplay style. Or which illustration you like better for that matter. Just Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, so and you come in two formats too, right, Logan? So if you're a short right, game yeah. master. <laughs> yeah, there's the, the, the kind of landscape format. That's the, uh, you know, kind of uh, the the shorter, uh, wider screen. Or you can get the vertical format that has some of the Wayne Reynolds illustrations on it of the, uh, the iconic characters. And that'll be kind of taller. So, yeah, there are, there are four different options for you. Um, I believe the vertical screens are Paizo.com exclusives, if I remember that correctly. I, I just want us to come out with the Goliath version that's like double height. That way I, I you know, have a screen that's finally my size. Um, in addition, uh, you know, we put out a character sheet pack at launch. And uh, this character sheet pack has, you know, like an individual sheet for all 12 of the uh, of the classes. Plus, you know, a spell sheet and a companion sheet and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, we're also putting out, a, out an advanced character sheet pack. Um, that has some fun stuff in it. That's gone to the printer already, if I recall correctly, right, Logan? Yeah, I think pretty recently. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, maybe yeah. time doesn't have it's meaning anymore. Or, yeah. So, uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the advanced character sheet pack is similar to the character sheet pack, but for the advanced uh, player's guide. So that means it has a character sheet for each of the classes in that book. Um, and then it has some kind of more blank sheets because there aren't 12 classes in that book. Um, and it's got a few kind of experimental sheets uh, and uh, a different kind of folder illustration. So that's another one where it's kind of like you can pick whichever one works best for you and uh, and grab that for your game. Or if you you play a lot of Pathfinder Society, you have a whole lot of characters, you need two folders to contain them all, you can pick up both of them and have a little variety. Yeah, and and you know, so uh, continuing down the uh, accessory route, uh, we re-released the initiative tracker. Not much to talk about there. Uh, condition cards are super handy and useful, and have uh, all of the conditions in the game uh, on cards. Uh, uh, many of them have multiples if you need to hand them out. Um, we've also released item cards. Um, we've done decks of weapons and armor and gear, and you can probably expect us to continue that into the future. Um, these, unlike the item cards from first edition, there we go. Uh, these actually have stats on the back, right, Logan? Uh, they do have stats on the back. There they are. <laughs> probably, probably a little hard to see on stream, but yeah, yeah. it's got the, uh, the traits and, uh, the, the price and all that kind of, uh, all that kind of stuff and a description. Uh, and of course, no edition of the game would be complete without a critical hit deck and a critical fumble deck. Uh, you can pick those up already. Uh, and uh, let's move on to some of the more exciting things, though, that have come out. Uh, let's talk about this bestiary battle box. This is one of the most exciting things. I'm I'm so ridiculously excited about simple tools that make my <laughs> life easier as a GM. Uh, and just having all the monsters on cards is super handy. Um, I actually had the demo of this when running the last season of Knights of Everflame. So I was like behind the screen shuffling cards. And from the moment I started playing around with them, I saw how useful they are. And and Logan, you're super excited about these. Why don't, why don't you talk about these two? Well, and I've got them right here. So this is oh, this handy. is the box without the lid on. You can kind of see how it's a hefty brick. You can fit so many bad boys in this. Uh it's got so it's got a card for every monster in the bestiary, and one of the things I really like about it, in addition to just kind of the convenience, is that we can't fit an illustration of every monster in the bestiary because we have more room for stat blocks than we have for illustrations, and we want to get as many stat blocks in there as possible. 
but there are illustrations of all those creatures on the cards. So, for example, the Johnny doesn't have an illustration of the bestiary, but it has one on a card. Uh, and you can see that the back of these has the stat block. So if you want the kind of the lore of the monster, that stuff is on the best area. If you just want the stats and the illustration to use at your table, the cards are great for that. Uh, I'll go through a few more of these, but this is just uh, to kind of show off the creatures. So this is the Asimar Redeemer. That one's pretty cool. Uh, this is uh, the Grim Reaper. We have the Lesser Death and the Grim Reaper, so there's an illustration for both of those. Uh, this is another bugbear that wasn't in the book. Very buggy. Uh, here's the uh, the Naiad Queen, one of the nymphs, and the uh, Ankrav Hive Mother for the Ankravs. So, uh, oh. so you can see there's yeah, you can uh, visualize a bunch of things that weren't uh, there in the bestiary. So that's really handy too. Yeah. So I mean, you know, and 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 for those of you asking uh, whether or not there might be a, a box for B two, I mean, you know, that makes sense. I don't know that we've announced anything like that yet, but the first one has certainly done very well. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, uh, let's see. We've put out a, a chase deck. Not much to talk about there. Let's let's hop over to the other exciting thing that these aren't out yet. These I'm we're so we're now burgeoning. We're we're now burgeoning into the future. But uh, you know, we are about to release. You know, spell decks, spell cards. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm Liz, so excited about these things. Why don't you talk about these while I actually flip through one? Because I Excellent. have them. So, so you know. uh, my my pet peeve of Pathfinder since I started playing has been spells, and I refused to play a spellcaster in first edition because I could never remember which spells did what, and I didn't want to have to look them up all the time. So now we have these resources that are one card per spell, sorted by tradition. So you can get the tradition deck for your spell for for your spellcaster. Let's say you're playing a cleric, you can you pick up the divine spellcasting tradition deck, and it has every spell you can cast in it. So what Jason has there is one of the focus spells. There's a focus spell deck. It just has one spell per card, and you collect whatever spells you prepared that morning, whatever spells are on the monster stat block, whatever spells are in your spell book, and you have them right there at your fingertips. You don't have to refer back to the book. You don't have to flip pages, and they weigh, I don't know, like one gram each. Uh, here's one of our champion uh, uh, devotion spells that we've got there. Yeah, the only one I've opened is the focus deck. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, so but th there's one for every spellcasting tradition, um, and since the spellcasting traditions are tied to your class, you pick up the one for your class, and uh, <laughs> Jason's going to hold all of them at once. It's going to be or great. Or you pick up all of them. Get one more. One more. There we go. Excellent. Nice work. <laughs> uh, anyway, I am super excited about these. I think these are a really fantastic aid for um, memory-challenged people like me, people who want to have everything portable. They're fantastic for newer players who need to have um, visual aids at hand for, uh, or younger players. Um, just to keep everything handy and organized. They're they're one of these little things that makes your game so much smoother. Logan, what you got? Uh, and one thing I want to note on that is you can get all those boxes, but if you're just taking the stuff for your game, you can get like a small card box uh, or deck box and just carry the stuff you need with you. If you want to do that with the bestiary cards, I have found out what you want to look for are called coupon uh, uh, storage boxes. Uh, because for some reason, coupons, they figure are this big. So, uh, those are you... big coupons. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, look, look on like office supply sites. You want a coupon uh, envelope or a coupon storage box. I got a couple of those and they fit these really well. So Vanessa has reminded me and pointed out that the uh, the uh, best area two battle cards are indeed on Paizo.com. So uh, I don't need to be coy about whether or not we've announced them yet. Uh, so yeah, d- done. Uh, <laughs> and the spell cards are also on the website. Both are available for pre-order uh, if you're so inclined. The spell cards are um, coming real, real soon, aren't they? I, I have to give I have to give props uh, to Bacon Gollum in the chat uh, saying that you could get a Scrollodex. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. And you know, it's okay. before noon, uh, right? I yeah. Have said that either. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's fine. All right. So uh, let's move on now to the future. And uh, and he's been awfully quiet this far because he's been so focused on uh, preparing his comments. Now it's time for us to talk about the future, and the next book that is slated to release is The Advanced Player's Guide. Mark, why don't you give us a, a, a tour of, of this book? And, and before we get too far into this, I want to remind folks, we have an entire panel about the APG on Friday. Uh, that is at noon? Noon. Noon. Uh, so we're not going to do a super deep dive on the advanced players guide right now. We're going to save that for the panel on Friday. Uh, but you know, we, we're not going to do an RPG Q and A panel without talking about the advanced players guide. So, Mark, take it away. All right. So the advanced players guide is full of more everything. If you got the core rulebook and thought this is great, but I kind of want more everything, the advanced players guide is sort of the fourth pillar of the game, like Liz was talking about, the uh, Game Master Guide, the best area in the core rulebook, the Advanced Player Guide rounds it out by giving you more. And of course, um, two of the, probably the top two most popular things um, that people want more of are classes and ancestries. So we've got those. There's four new classes in the Advanced Player's Guide. There's the Investigator, which is going to let you play out that detective fantasy, be Sherlock Holmes, but also be other kinds of detectives from TV or uh, books or any kind of media. Uh, the Oracle is a divine, spontaneous spellcaster that is cursed by the fact that they are dealing with these pantheistic powers that are too much for them to take in, which grants them both advantages and disadvantages. The Swashbuckler is a uh, type of martial character that fights using style. It kind of matters to the swashbuckler almost more how they do something than whether they do it at all. They use lots of skills, build up panache, which is a special state that lets them perform powerful finishers. And, and then the final class is the witch. The witch makes a pact with some sort of mysterious patron that allows the witch to prepare, cast prepared spells, but from any of the four magic traditions. Uh, and they sort of commune with their patron through a special familiar. So those are the four classes in the book. There's also five new ancestries, but also five new members of something that have never been seen before the Advanced Player's Guide. They're called Versatile Heritages. Versatile heritages are like the heritages you've seen for other ancestries, you know, like the uh, Unbreakable Goblin, right? Except for that they can be taken by any ancestry. 
And these versatile heritages include um, options that would have been a race in Pathfinder First Edition, but sort of didn't really um, address the full uh, diversity uh, in the setting of those, such as um, Asimar, Tieflings, um, which are planar scions of the celestial and fiendish realms, respectively. Uh, there's always in the lore that said, well, they could be dwarves or elves. They don't always have to be humans who are part angel or part demon. Uh, but now that they're a versatile heritage, you can be any ancestry that you want and be an Asimar or a tiefling, be a changeling, which is um, spawned by hags, a dompier, which is part vampire, or a Duskwalker, which is a very special sort of planar sign from the Psychopomps that is not, um, they have a very particular deal where they are born a second time to carry out the rest of their fate. Um, but there's also five new ancestries. There's Kobolds, uh, which you may remember from many, many things, are our, our um, little uh, draconic, uh, colorful um, trap-setting ancestry. We've got uh, the orcs, who have taken a new role in the setting in second edition and sort of are working together with more people now to fight off against the undead. Um, there is the rat folk, or Isoki, uh, popular from Starfinder. They're very in industrious and packed together into uh, warrens. Uh, there is the Tengu, which are um, straight out of a mix of Japanese mythology and also the setting. They're a sort of crow-focused uh, uh, ancestry that's popular in Golarian. Right um, hmm? You can see one on the slide right there. Oh, yeah. You sure the can. The because the oracle is, is actually a Tengu. Um, and they're uh, in the setting, they, they like to um, sort of eat jinxes um, among the pirates, and they're considered lucky. So we'll see if there are any options for that. And then finally, the cat folk, another fan favorite. Um, they are folk, but also cats. They're very um, curious. They have um, strange luck, and they want to defend against weird things in the corners of reality. So that's what we've got um, for the Advanced Player's Guide. But while we're here, I'd like it if everyone's um, sort of just describe what's your favorite thing um, in the Advanced Player's Guide. Let's start with Liz. What's your favorite thing, Liz? Uh, so my favorite thing out of this book is actually in a very large section, which hasn't been mentioned yet, so I'm going to mention it. Uh, this book has an enormous chapter of archetypes. We knew that archetypes were one of the keystones of Pathfinder First Edition. We love archetypes. You love archetypes. And so we uh, we really loaded this book up with archetypes. And so uh, my one of my favorite pieces was uh, is an archetype that's going to show up in this book that uh, in first edition, uh, every time I looked at this, I said, why isn't this an archetype? This is this is built as a class. It really should be an archetype. Uh, and and that's the vigilante who takes on a social persona and then, uh, has a, a second identity that, depending on which archetype you took in first edition, sort of swapped out what your vigilante identity abilities were. So in second edition, we've built it as an archetype where you take that archetype 
and your class abilities, whatever your base class are, are your vigilante abilities. And then you have this social identity on top of it. And it plays exactly the same way. You're still bouncing back and forth between the two identities. You have abilities that you can use based on which identity you're in. Uh, it's just built through the existing framework. Again, coming back to that same concept, we want everything to have a home in the game. This builds that class, uh, in, including the Red Raven, uh, in a way that is compatible with the, the core fundamentals of the game and not sort of tacked on as an afterthought. So that's my favorite. Yep. And Liz, when you say it's built, uh, you're the one who uh, wrote the Vigilante for, I, I, for the I Advanced did. Players Guide as a freelancer. Uh, it's one of the one of the pieces that I was able to contribute to this book. Um, I happened to have been playing a vigilante at the time, and I've always loved the class since Ultimate Intrigue came out. Um, so it was it was really uh, a lot of fun to be able to put this together for this book. All right, uh, Logan, what's your favorite thing? I wanted to mention one thing on archetypes before I go into my favorite thing, which is that uh, one of the reasons it wasn't an archetype in first edition was because we would have had to pick a class that it went with. The way mm -hmm. archetypes are done in second edition means that that giant selection of archetypes, uh, if you'd done that that many pages worth of archetypes in first edition, you would have had to then divide by the number of classes to figure out whether you could actually take one. These, you can just take them. Uh, so these are like hugely useful. And we'll talk a lot more about those in the Friday panel. And if you want to find mm -hmm. out if any of your favorite things have made the jump to second edition, that's going to be where you're going to find that out. Um, so, uh, but my favorite thing, uh, I'm going to pick something really small because there are a bunch of like big things that I like, a bunch of the classes and everything. But I, I, I wrote one particular ritual, uh, which is called Fantastic Facade, uh, which is a high level ritual. And it's that thing where it's like you walk into the city and it looks like it used to 800 years ago, even though it's ruins today. This is a giant illusion that you can put over a whole settlement to change how it looks. Um, so that's one of my favorite things is just kind of that that kind of world building thing that you would have seen in like in a fantasy movie from the 70s or 80s kind of. A, or the Emerald kind of City from the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Mm hmm. All right. What about you, Jason? Uh, so, you know, um, I, I know folks really want to talk about uh, archetypes. That's like the big secret thing in this book. We haven't released the list. I, I think you're going to get a much better sense of that on Friday as to what all the archetypes are in this book. Uh, maybe not all of them, but you're going to get a sense wow. of a lot of them. I don't know what I don't know what folks have planned. Um, but uh, you know, um, I, how many did we end up with? What was the final count? I think I think it's forty two. Forty two. Well, that's forty two counting counting the multi class architects. Yeah, that's auspicious. Um, so um, those who have been watching Band of Bravos may have seen uh, James Jacobs uh, hit second level and promptly grab uh, an archetype, uh, the celebrity. Um, from the Advanced Player's Guide. Yeah, of course. Uh, so this coming Sunday, actually, uh, to close out PaizoCon, I'm going to be playing with the folks from Q-Times, uh, and I am going to be playing a uh, rogue with the assassin archetype. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, that archetype allows you to mark a target uh, and uh, once that target is marked, all of your weapons gain, like, deadly and backstabber <laughs> against that target. So, um, and eventually you can get to the point where you can uh, start doing huge amounts of extra damage to them and possibly even kill them outright if they critically fail their saving throw. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and that is going to be this uh, Sunday. So look at me promoting other stuff. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I believe that's Sunday at like 
four or five, something like that. I, I don't have the schedule right in front of me. Uh, but uh, it's the final live game of PaizoCon. Um, so you keep uh, saying Mark and Kill. Should I be worried? Uh, no. Please don't kill okay. Mark. We need him. <laughs> All right. So everybody else gave their favorite. So I guess it's only fair if I give my favorite two instead of just putting everyone else on the spot. So um, there's a ton of things I like in the APG. But um, actually, I guess like Liz and Logan, uh, I'm going to pick one of the few things that I wrote as a freelancer because I was just so excited I assigned it to myself. Um, that is um, the new rules for um, like familiars and animal companions. So I'm really excited about the fact that not only are there new familiar special abilities and master special abilities like you might have expected um, from the core rulebook, there's also rules for getting specific familiars. Do you want a fairy dragon? Do you want an imp? Do you want another one that um, when we talk about favorites again, I'll tell you what it is on Friday? Um, you can make, get those characters, uh, you can get those familiars using the rules in the Advanced Player's Guide. There's also brand new animal companions and also some, like, quote, animal companions that aren't exactly animals, like an arboreal sapling from the arboreal family of creatures that includes um, the old um, treant-type creature and a riding drake that is just a dragon that you ride on uh, along the ground, breathing fire on people and whatnot, like you do. So uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Now, somebody in chat asked this, and I, I, I have to I have to ask uh, and and see did did we manage to squeeze dinosaur fort into this book? Uh, I I tried again, but we did not have space ah! for it again. We'll find a space for Dinosaur yeah. Fort eventually, I promise. Jason, we should confab uh, with Logan and um, see where we can find a good place for it. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I nearly was like, oh, we could put that in dot, dot, dot. And then I was like, oh, I should just shut up. Spoilers, <laughs> <laughs> we're always working on more books. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't know what they are yet. Um, I was like, oh, no. Okay. Uh <laughs> So, uh, all right. So, uh, for folks who want to learn more about the APG and, uh, and, and undoubtedly ask more questions about how, uh, you know, Dodge became a nine-tailed white fox, um, tune in to this Friday's, uh, uh, seminar starting at noon. Uh, they're going to be talking all about the advanced player's guide. Um, so, uh, we'll be certainly happy to answer a few questions here. Uh, but I want to, I want to, I'm going to want to punt a lot of those to Friday. Uh, just so everybody knows. So um, let's talk about the uh, final announced product that we're going to talk about here today. And that is the beginner box. Yes, we are super excited to be bringing the beginner box to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Um, this uh, box was hugely popular and successful in Pathfinder 1st Edition. And it took like... It was over two years before we got it out. Um, and so for second edition, we decided, you know, very early on that the beginner box needed to come out as quickly as possible. There was even an early draft of our plan for second edition where the beginner box came out first. Uh, but that was lunacy and uh, and there was no way that was going to happen. So uh, but we're getting it out as quickly as we can. The Pathfinder beginner box is 
you know, going to be loaded with the sort of things that you've come to expect from our beginner boxes. Um, there are a, there's a lot of content in here. I'm going to talk a little bit about it here today. Um, much of it is going to be stuff that you expect. There might be a few surprises in there. Um, but uh, the thing I want to stress just from the outset here is that unlike the first edition beginner box, where we actually had to change elements of the game to make it work in a more constrained environment, the Pathfinder 2nd Edition Beginner Box is Pathfinder 2nd Edition. It's the same game. We didn't have to change really anything. We wrote new options in some cases that are a little bit more straightforward and streamlined, but we didn't fundamentally change the engine of the game in any real way. So that when you play in the Beginner Box, the character that you make, the character that you play, can transition directly into the regular game without really any alterations at all. Uh, this was a huge goal of ours with the design of second edition that we wanted to make a way to bring new people into the game without having to teach them one slightly different version of the game before we teach them the regular version of the game. So, uh, you know, that was a big goal of ours. And uh, I'm happy to say that I, I feel like we've pulled it off. This book, this box is just about to go to the printer. It is set to release this October, uh, assuming everything goes well in manufacturing and shipping and everything, but that is its targeted release date. So let's take a look inside the box here. Uh, and if we could go to the next slide, we will take a look at the massive amount of content that you will find in this box. Unsurprisingly, there is a Hero's Handbook and a Game Master's Guide. Uh, the Hero's Handbook does start with a solo adventure, just like the first edition uh, Beginner Box does. The uh, Game Master's Book does start with an intro adventure, but unlike the first edition box, this uh, intro adventure is twice the length. It takes up both sides of a flip mat and is designed to provide you with several sessions of play. Uh, but... We also include a whole bunch of extra stuff if you want to write your own adventures. So, naturally, there are sheets of pawns uh, that you can work with. And we even added, I think the first box had three sheets of pawns. For this box, we upped it to four to cram in even more monsters uh, and more copies of the monsters, more importantly, so that you could build uh, more robust encounters. Uh, there are the flip mats that go with the adventure, or a flip mat. I don't want to make it sound like there's two. There's two sides to it. Um, and, uh, of course, the box has um, blank character sheets and pre-generated characters. You will find those in there as well. There is a uh, full set of polyhedral dice and... Uh, learning from some of the cool things that they did with the Starfinder Beginner Box, there are also cool handy reference cards uh, in this box, uh, allowing you to kind of uh, reference the basic rules of the game. Uh, all of you have been really deep uh, in this Beginner Box. Has anybody got anything they want to add to that, that description? Well, you can see in the picture there on the top of the pawn sheet, um, if you look real close, there's some Pawns on there that don't quite look like monsters, right? Can you see them? They look like actions or reactions. You can pull those off, put them onto the card that you see in the lower right of the picture to show that you have all your actions and your reactions back at the start of your turn. And then play out the action tokens or the reaction when you use them to help you remember that you have used them and what you have left. For beginners, that's really helpful in planning your turn. Another thing we... Go ahead, Liz. Um, Liz. 
All right. Uh, you can also see in this illustration um, that we have color coded the dice um, to make it really easy to say, hey, you're about to roll a check grab the purple D20 um, so that uh, it's there's no more trying to tell you through words how to tell a D8 and a D10 apart. Yeah, I think, you know, we learned a lot of lessons. Uh, you know, the first edition beginner box was a big success and people really liked it. But there were still some things that even then we went. Ah, we could do that better. The the color-coded dice is certainly one of those. Was that Logan, did you have something you wanted one? to add? I do have another thing I'll say, which is uh, if someone has played the beginner box and doesn't want to switch over to full Pathfinder, there's also an additional adventure that's going to be coming out called Troubles in Otari, and you can pick up with your same characters and start playing in that, and it also has the rules for leveling up uh, your character uh one additional time because that adventure is going to take you uh to another set of levels uh because there are four classes in the beginner box the fighter cleric wizard and rogue similar to the previous beginner box um and that way the uh the second adventure if you're if this is more in your comfort zone you can keep playing using that i want to give kudos to the chat by the way because they noticed a thing that we have already had fixed which is there is a color discrepancy between the character sheets and the dice um that the character sheet that you can see on the uh, chat right now has the dice in a certain color order and the dice over in the corner in a different color order we have already caught that and had it fixed don't worry about it (laughs) but thank you hasn't been finalized so what you see there there might be some small changes like that Hmm. Uh, yeah, those are those. These aren't quite the finals, but uh, good, good for being eagle-eyed there, everybody. Uh, well, well caught. Um, you know, some of you, some of you can uh, probably have a job in this industry. So, uh, let's. Uh, I think that about covers it up. Uh, there, there are uh, some exciting things coming down the pipe for Pathfinder. Obviously, there are more books coming out uh, in the future. Uh, but there are things that we haven't quite talked about. At the end of the APG panel, I believe we are going to be announcing uh, one new book that is good, but we'll save that for the end of the RPG panel on Friday. Um, uh, the APG panel, not RPG panel. Too many acronyms. Um, so uh, at this point in time, I think we're just about ready to open it up to questions. So yeah, we're about halfway through the panel. That sounds about right. Um, so we got about uh, we got about forty minutes left. Um, I I'm going to be uh, sorting through chat here, picking out questions kind of at random. I do want to say, uh, folks, that uh, if you ask really technical rules questions, I'm not going to pick those because nobody wants to see us dig through books here on on stream. So uh, stick to philosophical questions or product questions, and I'll see what I can do. Um, And Jason, you're going to read see. those questions for us, yeah? Yes, I will. Yeah, because I have them up. Uh, Vanessa wants to remind me that uh, Adam D- uh, wants me to rhyme, remind the chat that Adam Daigle uh, will be talking uh, more about Troubles in Otari uh, and the other Pathfinder Adventures at 2 p.m. on Friday. So he follows up the APG panel. So if you want to learn more about Troubles in Otari, the sequel uh, to the Beginner Box Adventure, uh, you can do so. Um <clears throat> So let's see here. Uh, so the war priest was roped into the base cleric and cavalier and vigilante are archetypes. Uh, what is the design philosophy going forward for hybrid and niche classes, i.e. brawler, magus, summoner, etc.? Um, I, I think um, I, I will start with that. Um, I, I think the thing that everyone needs to understand is that when we're looking back at content from first edition, we're kind of trying to give it a fresh 
set of eyes. We're not just saying it was a class in first, it's going to be a class in second. Because in reality, some of these were classes in first purely because the way the archetype system worked and the way that certain things were set up in first edition, it didn't make sense for it to be an archetype. The Vigilante is the classic example of that. That said, there are a lot of classes that, although you can clearly envision a way that that could be an archetype, we also envision a way that that could still remain its own separate class. So I wouldn't assume that just because something is relatively straightforward that it's like, oh, I can easily see how that would map to an archetype. It's going to be an archetype now. I wouldn't assume that. Um, I think the thing to remember and the thing that we would like everyone out there to, to understand is that these are going to be whole new expressions. We can take a class and build more to it than what it's uh, you know, relatively straightforward nuts and bolts approach in first edition was like. That said, there are probably some classes that, yeah, they probably will turn into archetypes. But, you know, we'll talk about that and we'll decide that as we go along. I think the thing I want to stress is that we are eager to get out new and interesting content to you uh, as quickly as possible. Anybody want to add on to that while I look for another question? Yeah, I'll add on to that a little bit. Um, I think one of the things you'll see when you look at how we've brought some of these forward, you'll see things like, like the swashbuckler was a hybrid class, but we looked at it and said, this has enough juice that it can be its own class if we do something really different with it. You can see that in the playtest, and you'll see that in the final. And we look at others like the cavalier, where it's like, the expression of this can graft onto another character concept pretty cleanly, so this makes more sense as an archetype. So like its its former status is not necessarily an indication of its of its new status. Uh, in theory, something that was an archetype in first edition could be a class in second edition, or could be a set of feats, or or uh, or anything like that. Um, and like the war priest is a good example of that, uh, kind of folding into a cleric. I think Liz. Yeah, and just to tack onto that, um, you know, there's more to the second edition of the game than just updating things from first edition. It's we've got a whole rules set that we can play with. Um, and so we're we're looking at ways to do things that aren't just the same things we've done before. Um, so, you know, we, we know that there are a lot of things that are out there that are fun that we want to bring forward. Um, but we're also looking beyond that to see what else we can do and uh, and what new toys we can make. We got a question from the chat asking, are we going to change the composition of backgrounds to something other uh, than just like a skill feat or anything like that? Is there any flexibility there? Mark, do you, do you want to do you want to toss in on that? So um, I would say that you may want to um, check out the Advanced Player's Guide um, panel, although we may not, actually, we may not talk about that there, so I'll just be less coy. Um, oh, we're going we'll to have, we'll we're going to have some um, backgrounds in the Advanced Player's Guide that are a little more beyond the normal um, that might require some kind of group or um, consensus or buy-in that are just are a little bit stranger and can do a little bit more. And for options that are currently out, the Game Mastery Guide has a random table of uh, a deep background generator, some of which generate things that are not only skill feeds for your background. However, it definitely is the case that um, it's simpler to make a new skill feat that everyone can use because if we create a equivalent ability and just stick it in the background it's locked into that one person ability is really good it creates this weird incentive to take a specific background and generally we want your background to be 
mostly a story choice with a little bit of mechanical impact rather than being something like, well, you have to take this background if you really want to optimize your character, because that's not really what backgrounds are for. Um, but we did, we kind of have that base structure to make backgrounds easy to design and easy to understand, but it's far from the only way that, uh, like those rules are not set in stone for backgrounds as, as Mark has noted. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So I got a couple rapid fire questions here um, that uh, I'm just going to throw out answers to because a lot of them are really simple. Um, somebody asked what the uh, age range was for the beginner box. I believe we put 13 plus on there, but that has a lot to do with the fact that it has parts that are a choking hazard. Um, I think with adult supervision, you could probably teach younger kids this, but I'd want an adult in the room to make sure they don't swallow a die. Um, <laughs> you know, that. Uh Someone asked, uh, what's the release date for the APG? Something more specific than just mid-July. Um, I think the original release date was the first day of Gen Con. I don't know how that changes uh, due to Gen Con being canceled. Um, so I don't think we've announced that yet. I'm not even sure we've discussed it internally, but we probably should, and we should get some news out there to folks. So hang tight on that. Um <clears throat> Now, this next one leads into another question. Somebody asked uh, if we could confirm that natural 20s are criticals, as stated in one part of the core rulebook, whereas another part of the core rulebook where there's a little bit of confusion where it talks about it stepping up. Um, this gets into a bigger question about errata and uh, FAQs and things like that. Um, we realize that up to this point, we've released, what, one errata document that had some big top button issues that we wanted to get out there very early on. You can all rest assured that there is more coming. Um, we haven't been uh, rushing to put that out. Obviously, in the past few months, everyone's lives have been a little topsy-turvy, uh, and we're still trying to figure out a good process for that uh, based on, on on the books and how they come out. Um, Liz, you've been spending a lot of time on that. Uh, but before we before I toss it over to Liz to talk a little bit about our errata process, um, uh, I do want to say um, 20s, uh, step uh, up the success by one level, per period. That's what they do. Uh, the, the part that says they're an automatic crit is a, a not 100% accurate. We need to clean that up. That is what a 20 does. A 20 says, step, calculate the, the success level normally, and then step it up by one. There. It's been said. <laughs> Unless anybody wants to disagree. No? You got no. it. <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> Liz. Why don't you uh, talk so about the, a Yeah, so I've been collecting um, errors through the core rulebook, which is really in some ways kind of an existentially depressing process because I was on the editor and developer team for the book. So now it's just going through and finding all the places where I mucked it up. Um, but it's uh, so but we, we've got a big archive of the things that we do need to update and we're prioritizing the higher level changes that we want to distribute. Um, we are looking at having another errata document published similar to the one that came out in October. Um, sometime in the next couple of months, just sort of depending on our production schedule, um, that will address sort of that next wave of um, of changes um, that we've noticed as people have been playing the game, um, finding errors, finding things that we need to, to streamline and tidy up a little bit. Um, I can I, I am leveraging extremely hard to get that out before the APG comes out in July. Um, so sometime in the next, I guess that's two months from now. So sometime in the next two months, we'll, we should be seeing that document. Um, and that'll get us more or less current with the the, the, the game. Um, and I, I'm, I think we're pretty confident that at that point, anything that's sort of a, a relatively glaring error will be resolved. And at that point forward, it'll just be typos. Uh, 
You heard it here first. Uh, so uh, let's let's move on. Um, so, uh, someone asked uh, uh, from chat here, relics are a great addition to the Game Mastery Guide. Do you plan on releasing any more gifts for this system in other books? Mark, you've been working on a lot of Lost Omen books. Have you seen any other relic gifts yet? So uh, I have not seen any relics that are in the pipeline right now. Uh, but I feel like that relics as a sort of new type of um, GM discretion item in the um, Game Mastery Guide has sort of a lot of possibilities. I could see them being something that were tied into an adventure path that gave you specific relics, for example, or another adventure. I just haven't seen that used yet. Fair enough. Um, <clears throat> Sounds like Logan's got something to add to that. Oh sure, for go that. ahead. Uh, that, that's also one where we think uh, that's that's also really fertile ground for third-party products. I think um, mm -hmm. so. Like if you're running a third-party company, adding more uh, relic types uh, could be a really interesting product. Uh, and there's we kept them really broad in the uh, in the game mastery guide to make them kind of as versatile as possible, and kind of digging deeper into those and making them more specific can be a really nice ground to cover too. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Um, I got a question here that said, uh, you know, uh, will there at some point in time be totally new classes? Uh, and can we discuss this for a bit? Uh, I'll, I'll open up the discussion on this before I toss it around. Um, I think right now the delicate balance that we have to strike is getting content out that everybody wants because they're first edition players and they're expecting to get their favorite class and finding new ways to play with the system and do new exciting things. I think we have to find a good balance on that. And here in the very early days, it's really important to get some of that uh, extant material out there because a lot of folks are waiting to convert until they have the material they need to, to swap over their character, right? They're in the middle of a campaign. They're excited to play the new edition. But, you know, the witch isn't out yet, so they're going to wait. Well... That's why, you know, the witches in the APG. Does anybody else have anything they want to add to that? <clears throat> I'll, I'll add a little more to that. Uh, one of the things with when new classes come into the game and when old things appear is not always based entirely on just the merit of whatever the, the class was or is going to be. But part of that is, like, what book does it fit in? So there might be a class that we know is popular and we think has really cool mechanical implementation, but we don't yet have kind of a book on the schedule that's going to be the right place for it. And we can conceive of what book, what that book might be, but that's more of like a year four book um, for various other reasons. So some things end up uh, kind of getting pushed further along because of just kind of how all these different things intersect. Uh, so just because your favorite class hasn't appeared doesn't mean there won't be a really cool version of it down the line. We just have a finite amount of time and uh, only so many releases we can actually get put together and published. So um, <clears throat> I've noticed in chat that there's a handful of questions that are probably outside the scope of this panel. I just want to, I don't want to, I don't want people to think I'm just skipping all of those. Um, if you're asking about Lost Omens and the world of Galarian, that's probably outside the scope for this particular panel. Also for, for those who have asked about Starfinder uh, and, and a Starfinder second edition, definitely outside the scope of this panel. Um, <laughs> Uh, the, 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 the Starfinder, uh, today is the Starfinder Marquee Day, correct? The next panel is Starfinder, right? So, uh, uh, ask them. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm just throwing grenades forward here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, some <laughs> folks have uh, have asked a number of follow-on questions about errata and PDFs uh, and reprints of the book. Um, I think uh, it is important to note that we are still formulating our policy on that. Uh, and I probably don't want to say too much more than that because I know we're in the middle of trying to discuss how to do it. Um, so, you know, will there be uh, updated books and PDFs with the errata? Absolutely there will. When will those come out? I'll get back to you. <laughs> um, so um, one thing that we should probably spend a moment talking about is uh, as we, you know, we, we talked, we touched a bit on... Um, talking about uh you know new classes and things like that it might be a good thing for us to talk about what our kind of philosophy is for the game beyond the kind of core because what you're seeing us put out this year um is kind of rounding out the core of the game right the core rulebook the bestiary bestiary to the uh advanced players guide the game mastery guide a beginner box what we're doing is forming that core nucleus of the game and uh, you know, where we go from here is is really going to be kind of interesting because I don't think, you know, we're not just going to build more onto the core. Now we can start exploring kind of some of the depths of the game. And I'll, I'll toss it to folks to, uh, to uh, 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 chat a bit about that uh, while I look for another question. It sounds like a great thing for Logan to talk about. Uh, so one of the things that we're looking to do with kind of further down the line is kind of make things that have a little bit more story to them. Something that's kind of in between uh, something like uh, Advanced Player's Guide and between what and what they're doing in the Lost Omens line, where the Lost Omens line has a whole lot of world stuff, a whole lot of uh, role-playing stuff, uh, and something like Advanced Player's Guide is very mechanics-heavy uh, and tells you enough, uh, enough story to kind of make your character and everything, but doesn't go into a super deep dive. We want most of our books to kind of fall in kind of that middle ground, especially to give something that's more interesting to, to read, to give more role-playing hooks, uh, kind of something that doesn't feel as much uh, like some of the first edition books could kind of feel like a, a bunch of mechanics and not a lot more to kind of engage you. Um, so we, we're looking more at like the kind of uh, closer to the occult adventures um, model, that kind of balance. Uh, so because that's kind of the direction we're looking to move for most of our books, we wanted to make sure that like the advanced player's guide is just absolutely packed with a bunch of mechanical options because we know that we want to kind of uh, do something a little different going on down the line with kind of stronger theming. So you'll probably be seeing some changes and things that we are not going to be announcing uh, a whole bunch of soon, uh, but that we are already working on because kind of, of how far out we work. Um, anybody else want to add to that? Um, I think it's it, it opens up a lot of really interesting um, design space for this team because we can really get into a, a level of integration with the setting um, in a very rules-heavy way that um, there was kind of the, the separation between the, the core rules in first edition and the setting material. Now we can really hook that together. And so we can look at, at how does our setting inform our design choices and how does the setting inform the mechanics of the game and the options that we present um, in a really kind of holistic way that I think is going to make for really um, the things that are a lot more fun and more engaging to play. So I'm excited about it. I hope other people are. So a uh, couple of things. Uh, first off, um, we've gotten a, a lot of questions about the gunslinger. Boy, there was a lot of comments about those. And it's just like, 
I we have not announced the gunslinger appearing in any book yet. So I'm not sure that there's an awful lot we have to say about that. <laughs> we um, I, we understand there is demand for it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it's funny because, uh, you know, the gunslinger is such a, a contentious and beloved class. Um, and, uh, you know, there was some strong thought about trying to find a way to include it in the advanced players guide. But the thing that kept holding us up was the fact that it also requires an entire um, chapter of guns gun magic items, gun gear. And all of a sudden it got this outsized footprint in the book that made it a real challenge to include. So, um, you know, I, I think with some very popular classes, right? Yeah. Uh, there, there are, it, it's really hard to pick. Uh, we knew we could only do like three or four classes for that book. And so there are so many popular options that we're fighting for that spot. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, we are definitely looking at a way to include uh, the Gunslinger back into the game, but it needs to have the right support around it. We can't just drop it and say, and here's three guns. Ta-da, we're done. Um, it, it needs full, robust support because that's that's just how we do. Um, yeah. So and that goes you know. back to what I was saying about finding the right book for it. Like it has to, it can't just appear because there is a lot of support that it needs. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Um, so then there, there are also a handful of questions about, uh, you know, there's been some questions about the power level of the classes, like the, the, you know, how wizards don't feel as powerful or how alchemists don't feel as powerful. Um, you know, I, I, I think I want to state, I don't, I don't want to necessarily get into the reads of talking about specific issues with the wizard or the alchemist. Um, but I do say this, you know, we, we do pay a lot of attention to the forums, to online places where people talk about things. Uh, we, we pay attention to that. And, um, you know, we, I'm not saying that we're going to, you know, oh, people complain about this thing, so we'll rush out and fix it. That's not really how uh, this works. But we do, you know, we are sensitive to people saying, hey, this isn't working as intended. Um, I don't know. Anybody want to talk to that? Uh, Mark? Yeah, I would. Sure, sure. I would say that um, we use a variety of means of feedback, including, like Jason says, the forums, Reddit, all sorts of different places where people are talking about things. Uh, we look at not only um, people's play data of talking about oh, this is what happened to my character, mathematical analyses that that people perform, and just various different discourse. And then usually what we do is we come back and we discuss it and we say, okay, here's what we see and here's what we saw from survey data and all sorts of other things that we have. Um, here's also what people are saying that they think is the fix. But does that actually fix the problem that they're having? And we try to find something that is a good way, most efficient way to fix the problem that, that people are having and also um, sort of maintain um, the vision of the game and what's going on. So it's a delicate balance that it generally can have some pretty long discussions with everyone on the design team, but ultimately we we usually come up with something pretty pretty interesting at the end. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that's that's our philosophy in general. Um, so somebody asked, uh, let's see, we got a question here about 2E feels able to support a more narrative play style. Is that, is that our view when we designed it? Or is that something that might affect it in the future? The kind of balance between narrative. I think 
something that uh, folks have keyed in on is that we are including a lot more of Galarian in the game now, right? It has its own chapter in the core rulebook um, uh, to give you a sense and a taste of what that's about. Uh, some of our books in the future have ties more directly to our world. Uh, and uh, I'm wondering if anyone on the team wants to uh, chat about that for a bit. A non-Galarian take on it. Uh, oh, sure. The, the kind of narrative style of play. We, uh, we didn't add a whole bunch of kind of like specific like narrative control game mechanics to the game. Um, we had some kind of early concepts of that, but the main reason we didn't is just because there's already a lot of game there, and we would have to remove some classic stuff to make that work. So we ended up not doing that. But what we did try to remove was some of the kind of impediments to to storytelling that were in first edition. Uh, and part of that is with having more kind of GM say in things and more kind of GM information flow and information control. Um, part of that is like, rather than having a precise formula for how to calculate the, the perception bonuses and penalties for something, or saying you, you always have to calculate cover by exactly this formula and saying that you can kind of do it a little more uh, at the GM's uh, judgment, we wanted to kind of make it a little easier to kind of do do narrative flow that way. Um, so I think that's part of the philosophy going in there. And then we also, once we got to like the investigator, experimented more with, let's do something very narrative and see if people like it in the playtest, which is the great thing about playtest. We can actually see if something gets uh, acceptance. Uh, and that was kind of like probably the furthest thing we've done uh, in like player facing rules to go into a more narrative space. And those have generally been uh, received pretty well. Uh, Liz, sorry, I'm, I'm yeah, done. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, a little mechanical thing that kind of falls into the same vein. The fact that we have secret checks so that um, you can kind of um, explore that narrative experience as a player of not knowing what you what your character doesn't know, um, that you can, you can really uh, immerse yourself in the storytelling process without having to separate out, oh, I know I rolled a two, but I have to pretend that I don't know that. Um, that there's, there's um, you know, some, some little changes that support that as well. Uh, yeah, I, um, yeah, I think that's, that, that about covers that. Um, I have a couple other, uh, small notes. Uh, one, somebody pointed out that NASA is about to launch the new, <laughs> the new, the new SpaceX and everyone's like half distracted. I understand that. I get that. It's really awesome. Uh, also, uh, somebody asked a question about playtesting. Um, will there be more playtests? The answer is yes. Um, we are pretty dedicated to putting out classes that have been playtested. They are by far the most uh, in-depth and robust thing uh, in the game and the most impactful on the game's life cycle. Um, so we don't like putting out classes without playtesting them. That is always fraught um, with peril. So um, yeah, when we announce new classes, we will be doing more playtesting. Logan? Yeah, I just wanted to note that... Um... The new playtest process that uh, we kind of developed, um, especially Mark, uh, during the process of doing the Pathfinder playtest before the core rulebook, um, really gets us good data because doing the surveys, we've been able to see things that we weren't seeing before with just kind of forum feedback. Um, and that has, has made the playtests uh, way more useful, like practically useful uh, and concrete. Um, and one of the things that we found with the Pathfinder playtest was a lot of folks weren't expecting it to be like, we are actually going to change a lot of things. 
So a lot of uh, things that people saw in the playtests are like, well, they're not going to change this. This is just, it's done, and they're just doing this. And then if you see the final game, you can see the level of change in it and how many things we really overhauled. Like uh, playtests and uh, doing a lot of changes in response to playtest feedback are a big part of the game. Yeah, our playtests are not like an open beta for a video game um, where there's so many assets already put into it by that point, it's going to fix small bugs and that's about it. We are ready and willing to fix what needs to be fixed, even if that's uh, quite a bit. But it's going to be based on listening to everything that we have at hand and paying very, very close attention. Even if you don't see a designer responding directly to you and saying hi during the playtest, we will have read what your feedback was and we're going to um, take it into account with everybody else's when we make the final decision. It just lets us take those big chances because we know if it fails, we've, we can change it. Uh, which is why we went further with like the investigator and some of the rules in the playtest because, and some of those worked, some of those didn't, but we found out, uh, we found out for sure whether the big ideas were going to sail. Chad has actually asked for an example of that from the APG. Can someone uh, give us an example of a, of a mechanic in the APG <laughs> that explicitly changed? We can on Friday. Oh, oh come one. on, just one? <laughs> oh, oh, I think we've, we, we've already said one of them in an earlier oh, yeah. thing. Liz, Liz, why don't you tell them about the witch and what kind of spells they can cast, which I already yeah, said. So one of the ideas that we played with in the playtest with the witch, this is talking about taking some big chances, um, is we made them a partially flexible caster. Um, and we let the, you're, as a player, you could choose between three spellcasting traditions. And holy woe, you hated it. Um, and it was one of the most contentious um, issues of the whole playtest. And so we listened. And, and um, from the whole spectrum of people who said witches should be occult only or primal only, to witches should be all four, to witches should only be these two random ones, um, which were always different between who, two, who was making decisions. <laughs> Um, and, and we sat down and we went back and looked at the narrative structure of how witches have appeared in our game and how they've been used in stories um, and sort of the cultural touchstones that they speak to, that that class concept speaks to. Um, and we came to the decision that witches should have all four spellcasting traditions. And so now you can play a witch um, of a, an arcane tradition, a cult primal or a divine tradition witch. I was personally in favor of creating a new fifth list called the Cauldron List that required the witch to drag around a bulk eight cauldron at all times. <laughs> I mean, I, that's just me, though. You know, every that's you know. What, that's why we put Liz as the uh, lead on the witch. That was a good we, call. We uh, heard the competing pitches, and we like Liz's better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's fine. Um, you can make I, an archive for that, Jason. Yeah, <laughs> Done. Uh, so uh, I saw some folks, uh, I saw someone ask about uh, whether or not we would ever think about changing the uh, 1.5 diagonal movement rule. Um, you know, how you go 1, 2, 1, 2, 1, 2. Yeah, that, that's a topic that just won't die. Uh, everyone's split on that. Uh, didn't we yeah. include something in the GMB about not using that rule? I think so. Yeah, and I mean, the rule is just like, don't, just just do, just, just count every square, it. right? Like, it's, <laughs> There's not there's not much of a rule there um, because there there doesn't need to be much of a rule there. It's just like do this simpler thing, um, but yeah, we anytime we talk about it, we get so so much uh, so much disagreement on both sides. There's there's not really a, an easy answer on that. Yeah, 
Well, I mean, I you know, you you end up dealing with the there is the yeah, but now my fireballs are square crowd. Uh, th- th- there's the there's the now whenever I look at the map, like the part that's furthest away in my you know in actual distance on a square map is the same distance as the cor- the corner that's much closer. Right? It and then the there is no actual distance because this is not an, a physical space. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like there's there's yep. a there's a counter argument to everything constantly forever. Oh yeah. Even even internally, oh, yeah. we always had back and forth. Right. There was like, well, it's like video games where you run diagonally and it makes you move faster to escape from the enemies, and then that has its own counter. We could just go on. I don't think we should. I, 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 I moved diagonally, so you didn't here. move faster. We're gonna remove the grid, and everyone's gonna have to get a tape measure. Uh <laughs> Someone suggested going back to hexes. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that uh, one of the things that I actually proposed uh, at some point in time in the in the design was maybe we should go to two meter squares. That way, diagonals were just three. Like mm-hmm. that, we experimented that, with that, but that kind of works. Do it, but yeah. but no one like like it was like uh, I have to go two four six nine eleven. Ah, uh, forget it. Nobody wanted to do it. Um. <laughs> I liked it, but nobody else did. (laughs) Instead, we're going to go with a series of conceptual bubbles, and you get uh, X amount of bubble movement. Um... (laughs) Oh no, James Case's character is going to move the farthest. Yeah, no. Oh, that's fair. Oh no. Um, Make the biggest bubbles. It's very large bubbles. Yep. Yep. (laughs) All right, I I gotta hand it to chat. Only witches use hexes. Oh, oh, see, that's where my love of hexes comes from. See, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it would be another way to torture the editing team. It's like, okay, level means these three things. Hex means these two things. <laughs> Sorry, uh, so I got a couple uh, questions about uh, familiars and uh, animal companions and stuff about broadening some of the traits and types. Uh, to allow you to have weirder animal companions? We sort of already answered that earlier on. Uh, but yes, no. you can have wider animal companions, and they're in the Advanced Player's Guide. So check it out. Like, the dragon doesn't say animal on it. It says dragon. Uh, fair enough. Um, let's see. I'm trying to see if there's anything else in here. Uh, are we going to continue to support some of the subsystems described in the Game Mastery Guide, like relics, artifacts, afflictions, things like that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The answer is yes. Oh, very good. All right. Yeah. This I would be shocked. It's all, it's all in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be shocked if we never printed an artifact again, right? I mean, think about how many awesome artifacts came out in Adventures all the time in uh, Pathfinder First Edition. I mean, I think it depends on the context. So things like artifacts and afflictions you're going to see as they come up in adventures. Um, I suspect the Adventure Path line is going to see the bulk of those. But uh, we've already seen artifacts in some of the Lost Omens books. I think we'll continue to see that. Um, Things like relics, I think we'll also see uh, maybe in a more limited capacity. Um, But uh, most of them, most of what's in the Game Mastery Guide is in there to be used. Um, So I would I would say, you know, it'll it'll come up. It's it's there. It's a tool. Um, something like a relic requires enough space and kind of commitment that they aren't going to appear as often as, say, an artifact where you can just put one into an adventure because that's all you need. Um, and also the the Game Mastery Guide, we kind of look at it like the core rulebook and the best area are enough to run a game. 
to run an adventure, the game mastery guide is enough to build. So a lot of those things are kind of like, it's, it's assuming that your GMing style is getting into the weeds enough that you're really wanting to make your own stuff. So a lot of those are kind of put in there to kind of be guidance for the GM. I think Relics is probably of that group, the biggest example of that, because it is uh, it is so up to kind of the play style and, and requires your attention throughout the game, throughout the campaign, um, that some of those are, are going to get more expansion than others. Oh, absolutely. So uh, I just want to let folks know we got about eight minutes left here in the uh, Q&A portion before we uh, wrap up this panel. So if you have any last questions, feel free to throw them in. Uh, I'm going to do a bit of a roundtable question here uh, for, for folks, uh, for my fellow panelists. Uh, what has surprised you most about uh, about TUI and its response now that it's been out for a while and and the comments and feedback you've seen? So what what have you seen uh, that uh, kind of has surprised you about the the initial adaptation and acceptance of the game. Anybody? Have I, I mean, stumped I've had, the panel? I have, <laughs> I have a. I have an odd one. Um, in the, sure. I had. I've been. I was in two games that were mid adventure path when second edition released, and uh, knowing where I was in my life and that I was developing this game and designing this game, I said, I, I need to go to the second edition. So if this game is going to continue, we need to convert the game. Um, and we were pretty high level and that was trickier than I expected it to be. Um, you know, I knew I was getting into the work of, of converting monsters and things, but the, the changeover for players at a high level mid campaign was, um, it was still a little bit of a jump and uh, it was a lot easier when we said, we're going to put this on hold and play some first level stuff and build it back up to it. Um, so if you're, if you're looking at converting and haven't converted yet, um, you know, give yourself a plan to, to make that jump, make sure you have the, the opportunity to learn it. Well, don't, don't dive in over your head. Um, Cause it's uh, it'll, it'll be more fun if you know what you're doing. me just kind of generally it's been overall more positive than i expected um you you see a fair number of people kind of like and there's there's always people who first edition is going to work better for them um but i think I, i'm seeing a lot more people who are like i prefer first edition i want to keep playing that and not as many like well the new edition just sucks and you know is is terrible and there's no way anyone should play it right i'm seeing a lot more people um and maybe it's a, a factor of like people's attitudes slowly shifting over time but I'm seeing less kind of like edition war. And I think part of that is because, uh, you know, we have a, as a company, it's like, if you want to play first edition, that's cool. We did a bunch of it and we worked really hard on it. That's great. Um, we aren't really like, we aren't kind of trying to say like there's nothing good about first edition. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're, we're happy that people are continuing to play first edition too. And glad that second edition is finding its fans as well. I guess my cop-out answer is that I'm surprised that there wasn't anything like way more shocking and outside the realm of things that we had ever anticipated that just suddenly popped up. Because with a lot of the other books I've worked on here and the other releases, there's always been like the thing that um, suddenly um, dominated the discourse that just came out of nowhere and that we didn't expect. But I kind of was expecting sort of some of the things that people are talking about other than like real minutia. So I guess I'm, I'm kind of surprised by that. It went like, I would say, like Logan said, a little bit more positive in terms of um, 
the feedback from um, some of the people who are like, first edition is more the one for me, but otherwise pretty much on the same notes that, that I might have thought. And for me, I, I have to say, just seeing, you know, brand new players, people who've never played Pathfinder before come into the fold, uh, you know, giving people a chance to try this game who have never tried it before. Um, actually, like the thing, I, I guess I'm, I shouldn't be surprised by this, but it, it, it still surprises me every time, is that people who have no experience with first edition actually have an easier time adapting and picking up second edition in some cases than people who were diehard first ed players. Um, and part of that's just because we use some of the same terms because they're the right term to for the job, but now it means something different. And as a result, they have to unlearn and relearn a thing, which is a challenge, and we we get that. Um, I'm going to jump in real quick because we just yeah. sort of had uh, a whole round of here's why you should stick with first edition um, or that um, first edition is awesome, which it is, um, but I, I think I don't want to um, make it I, I would like to say very clearly that second edition is great and I have loved playing it and it's been a big part of me joining this design team is that I get to work on this game. Um, and so it's, you know, if you're thinking about picking it up, pick it up. It's great. If you want to stick with first edition for a while, absolutely. It's great too. Um, but uh, I think there's a lot of improvements that have been made with this, with this new edition that, um, that just make it a great game and it's a lot of fun. I, I want to add on to that and say that, I've been running War for the Crown um, Adventure Path in 2nd Edition and have been just... I was surprised at first, but it took me way less time to prep than it did when I was running it in 1st Edition, even though I was converting. And my group has is running Iron Fight Invasion in 1st Edition, so we still love both. Although that that GM kind of wants to switch over to 2nd Edition because he's, he's envious of the fact that it was easier to prepare. Yeah, um, so... Yeah? Uh, I was just saying, like, I think the positivity of our fan base overall is always surprising. Like, it is so overwhelmingly positive. And you can see every opinion from, like, you know, second edition isn't for me, but I I can really see all the work that was put into it, and it looks beautiful. Uh, so so kudos on making it uh, to, you know, uh, to somebody who's like, I've never played an RPG before, and this looks so cool, I want to play it. Um, it, it's really been interesting seeing all the different responses and kind of the, the wide gamut of that. Yeah, it really has been, you know, I, I, I have to give kudos to the community. You know, they, they have been great in this. And, and even the groups that are like, yeah, we're still playing first and we're happy with first. Good. We're glad that you're playing our games. Uh, you know, and, and second edition will still be there when you're, when you're ready or when it's, you know, robust and has the options that you're looking for in a game. Uh, we understand that takes time, and it's not going to be an immediate conversion for everybody. That's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll still be here making great games. Um, so uh, I, uh, I got a few notes. Uh, somebody asked about when we're going to be converting Ultimate Magic and Ultimate Combat and stuff. I just want to say something about that here real quick. Um, yeah, outside of the core, uh, I don't think we're going to be doing direct re-envisionings of books from first edition. So if you're waiting for us to announce Ultimate Combat, you're going to be waiting. Because <laughs> I don't think we're going to announce <laughs> Ultimate Combat for second edition. Um, I think once we get beyond the core, we're going to be looking at new ways to bundle stuff together and, and give you new exciting content. We've touched on that a little bit already. I just wanted to make that clear. Um, let's see. I, I think we're just about 
wrapping it up here. Yeah, we're at a, we're at eleven thirty. Um, so uh, you know, folks, I want to say uh, thank you for uh, everyone who attended this panel. It has been a uh, absolute blast, as always. PaizoCon is always a good time, even if we are just doing it from the comfort of our home offices uh, and on webcams. It is still a uh, a blast to hang out with all of you and talk to you. Uh, about the game that we love um i want to thank my fellow panelists and i'll toss it around the horn uh and let them say something here before we wrap up uh we'll do it in reverse order list <laughs> uh, thank you all for for being here and hanging out with us uh, i hope you enjoyed the game and if you're not playing it i hope you check it out and uh you know we're always available on the message boards um there's the huge discord um channel this weekend um you can you can say hey to us and swing by and ask us questions um, and you know we're we're happy to yak about the game because we we happen to like it. So you know hit us up, talk to us. Um, we're you know social media, however you can find us. We're we're happy to we're happy to chat um, and and happy to to have you as part of this community. Thanks for being here. And many of us have AMAs, right? Do, yeah. do all yeah. of us? Yeah, we all, all do. do. Yeah, all right. Uh, you you can chat with all of us in our own private AMAs. Yeah. So uh, there's that. Again, we we aren't going to answer rules questions on there. Yeah. No. Uh, that is <laughs> answering rules questions uh, on sources that aren't kind of official ones is very fraught. So we try to avoid that. Yeah. Mark, you're still mm -hmm. in the middle. <laughs> All right. Well, um, in addition to our AMA, um, you can check me out at Mark Seifer on Twitter. I've got a, um, if you want to talk about things that go beyond the scope of the AMA, you can always go to the Arcade Mark Discord, which is tiny.cc slash Arcade Mark. So there's all sorts of places you can talk to me. Be sure to come on Friday at noon for the EPG panel. There's going to be so much stuff in there. We'll have art. Yes. But I don't think there is. Uh, and, Logan. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I have an AMA. Um, I'm not on the message boards a whole lot. You can find me more easily on Twitter. I'm at Logan Bonner. Um, Happy to talk to folks on there. Uh, and yeah, I'll be back on Friday and uh, talking uh, in depth about the APG. So save up your questions because we're going to have a bit of Q&A on that uh, and get prepared, you know, to ask us all about it. And I am Jason Bullman, the director of game design at Paizo. Um, you can find me on all the various social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, at backslash Jason Bullman. That's J-A-S-O-N-B-U-L-M-A-H-N. I want to remind folks that uh, we got a lot more excitement coming your way here at PaizoCon 2020. Following up, this is the marquee panel for Starfinder. You're going to want to stick around for that. Uh, if you're interested in more APG, I will remind you, Friday at noon is the APG panel. Stick around for later in the day Friday, starting at 4 p.m., will be the Pathfinder 2nd Edition Band of Bravos live play. There's live plays every night. I'm posting this one because it's the one that I run. So, uh, But you can stop by for all of those. They are uh, an awful lot of fun. I believe tonight is uh, uh, Starfinder Extreme. Uh, I believe their live game is this evening. Uh, I forget who's tomorrow night because I thought it was Glass Cannon, but I think they moved to Saturday. Um, so uh, I'm sure uh, the folks will remind us who have the schedule in front of them. Uh, and I also want to remind you that uh, the closing off PaizoCon, I will be playing some more Pathfinder 2nd Edition with the folks from QTime on Sunday. So there's a whole lot of great, exciting things coming up. Hang out in the Discord, chat with us, stop by the bar and say hello to Thirsty. He's 
apparently always there. Uh, and uh, I hope you all are having an amazing PaizoCon, staying safe at home. At this, I'm going to turn it back over to uh, our, our, our friendly folks at No Direction. And I believe uh, we have an interview coming up with Liz. Thanks, everybody. No Direction Network's PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage was made possible by the KDCon team, consisting of Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, Ryan Costello, Alexander Agunas, Vanessa Hoskins, Randall Meyer, Dustin Knight, and John Godek. Special thanks to Paizo's social media producer Peyton Smith and the entire Paizo staff. For more great Pathfinder, Starfinder, and other RPG news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, and blogs, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com. <laughs>